I'm joined by Ulster and Ireland rugby legend Justin Fitzpatrick. So when I put up on send to Justin before I started recording here that when I put up on socials that Justin was on the podcast, there was a great reaction. So you're obviously very fondly remembered by Ulster fans. I think everyone's really keen to hear what you've been up to. So Justin, how are you getting on? And Life is good. I'm uh, over in the United States in Texas. Um, I've been over here in America since 2013, um, done a variety of different things. Um, so when I retired in 2010, I went into coaching at Dungannon, which um, was incredibly enjoyable and, and um, uh, made a semblance of success there as well, which I'm very proud of. Um, and then in 2013, um, I got, uh, got an opportunity to come over to uh, America and um, I thought I'd, I'd do that for six months and um, I haven't left. Um, basically, you know, it's been very good to me. I, um, helped the Eagles with the um, uh, 2015 World Cup cycle um, put to qualify and then to, to go to the World Cup in, in, in England and then got invited to um, help start, start a franchise, uh, MLR franchise down here in Houston. And, um, and then over the last couple of years, um, uh, I've co-founded a, um, uh, 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 a rugby um, uh, training app, uh, Pipero. Um, basically, we partner with um, professional clubs from around the world. We take their um, um, their drills um, and we conceptualise their uh, philosophies, techniques, and so on for um, um, for people all around the world. We're in, we launched in December in over uh, thirty countries, and so that's been um, um, a very enjoyable odyssey. Yeah, well, it sounds like you've been very busy. Um... In fact, extremely busy, all that you've done, and hope to cover a wee bit more about that journey to America and sort of what, what that's involved. I want to go back now, though, um, because people will know from your accent that you weren't born in, in, and bred in Belfast in the same way a lot of your contemporaries uh, who played in that famous 99 squad were. So tell me a bit more about how you actually came to join Ulster. Well, it's probably um, best said in sort of two parts. I mean, I grew up in a, um, um, a small town on the south coast of England. My father's of Irish um, stock um, and um, learnt my, my, my rugby in um, Bognor Rugby Club, um, 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 you know, in, immersed in the ethos of, uh, of, of rugby, great place, great people. Um, and... Um, uh, my my uh, head of year at the time, Mark Neely, had, had sort of you know had seen something in me and was very proactive in sort of pushing me up the um, the ladder um, as a as a schoolboy, um, which gave me great confidence. I was a big lump as a as a, as a child, um, so uh, you know really enjoyed that. And um, uh, one of the guys I played with, um, who's also here in America now, Kevin Flynn, um, had gone up when he was sixteen to play for London Irish in the age grade system. System. And uh, uh, we bumped into each other um, and he invited me up as well. And, you know, so I, I went up through the age grade system, London Irish, which is a fabulous, um, still is um, a great um, producer of, of, of talent, amateur and professional. And um, I was, you know, made my professional, well, it wasn't professional at the time, I made my senior deb debut at 18, my league debut at 19 and played four seasons with the, the first team. 
um, up until 1998. And at that point, um, there was a sort of a rethink um, with how the Irish team should be prepared. Warren Gatlin was the coach. Um, um, pretty much everyone that was playing professional at that point and went professional two years previous to that um, was playing in England or, you know, a couple in France, perhaps, you know, um, you know, so um, that's not ideal um, in terms of getting together for training sessions, uh, monitoring loads and, and so on and so forth. So um, Warren had been instrumental in, in, um, convincing the um, IRFU, as I understand it, to, um, to you know, put some money down and contract um, the players, the Irish players that were over there. And at that point, um, uh, quite a few of the guys were taking up the opportunity. Not all of them did, um, but quite a few of them did. And many of my teammates at the time in London Irish, David Humphreys, Mark McCall, um, you know, and, and others had decided they were going to come back to Ireland. And um, uh, they were going back to Ulster and um, the the previous um, London Irish coach, Willie Anderson, um, I thought very fondly of, who was um, a great coach and a great mentor to me um, over my, my, my career. I'd moved back to Ulster. Um, so that was a, a draw because it was still, you were still playing half your games for a club and he was in, uh, running Dungan at the time and half your games for Ulster. I spoke to Harry Williams and immediately warmed to, to him. He's a He's a, a, um, a smart man and, um, uh, you know, the rest is history. Came came back um, and um, it was like a home away from home. I spent most of my adult life there, um, you know, looking back now and um, loved the place, you know. Felt immediately welcome, great bunch of lads and, um, you know, great, great place to, to, to live and, you know, be. And that's good to hear. And I want to go back and talk a bit more about what made that squad special. You mentioned a couple of characters, uh, Harry Williams, uh, Humphreys, McCall as well. And we'll touch on that. I want to go back a wee bit. Uh, You're saying about playing London Irish at the age of 18 or 19 that you made your your debut. Yeah, I I played, I was invited to play in, it's still at that point, um, there were still some friendly fixtures. So at 18, I was invited by the the coach at that time, Hicka Reid, to um, my captain, the under 19s, and was invited to play in in a senior, senior, senior game. And then over that preceding summer, um, uh, London Irish had been demoted down to what is now the championship, um, but it was Division Two, yeah, Division One and Division Two at that point. And Clive Woodward came over. Uh, a few of the senior guys um, uh, who needed to um, be in the top flight of, or felt they needed to be in the top flight of rugby, Jim Staples, Simon Gagan, um, Rob Saunders, those kind of guys, they moved They moved on. So there was a change in the guard at that point. Clive was very much um, someone who was prepared to give younger players opportunities. And, and um, I benefited, benefited from that and um, spent four seasons um, in the first team under Clive and then under Willie and then under Dick Best um, for the last part of it, and um, and it was a, it's, I mean, it, it still is, I and mean, it's a great club. Um, it's going very well at the at the moment, which is great to see. And um, you know, there was there was a lot of young Irish talent there. You know, David had joined from Oxford. You know, you had um, the likes of Tyrone Howe, Mark McCall, Jeremy Davison, Malcolm O'Kelly, Kieran Dawson, Ken O'Connell, Niall Woods, Connor O'Shea. I mean, you had the sort of that preceding, um, you know, decade or half a decade of young Irish talent coming through. Many of them came through that programme. 
um, and um, yeah, it was a it was a great period um, uh, to be involved, you know. But as I say, my my aim was to, to to play for Ireland. And when you know Warren had spoken to us all and said, "Look, I want people to come back," you know, and quite a few of the guys were doing so, I was like, "Okay, I'm I'm ready to give that a go." And uh, you know, it was a great decision, um, both personally and professionally, and um, one I look back very fondly on. Well, it seems like you have a knack for making good decisions because basically everywhere you've gone, you picked up silverware. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that. Uh, <laughs> not everywhere, but um, it, yeah, it's it's um, it's been fun. Yeah, uh, to be it's it's it's. Uh, I mean, in terms of uh, Ulster's history of, of picking up silverware, you you were around at the key moments for that, yeah. and uh, uh, so that that worked out particularly well. And I want to pick up on a couple of things um, you said there. So whenever I'm always curious, uh, guys of your generation, coming through that transition from amateur to professionalism, I wonder, did you contemplate this as a potential career? Were there rumblings? I mean, you're talk- talking about, I-, I wanted to play for Ireland and you wanted to play, obviously, to the highest level. Now, there's an obvious obvious incentive for guys now because the career trajectory is marked out for them and they know that they can make a decent amount of money, maybe play for 10 years if you're lucky and and come out of it with some savings whatever now for you coming through what was the what was the goal or ambition was it was it contemplating being a professional or was it just to play to the highest level that you could well I, I, again you know sort of growing up there was no opportunity to, to to be professional it was especially in you know growing up in in England southern England it, it was the game was very steeped in an amateur ethos and very frowned upon um, you know to earn money from it and all of a sudden within a very very short period of time, that changed, you know, it was going to go professional, to be honest with you. And and I, I count myself very fortunate and lucky to have um, been so many places, done so many things, you know, participated in and um, in professional rugby. And I wouldn't change any of that. I'm, I'm very, very humbled and, and very um, I have a lot of gratitude to, to, to that. That being said, you know, had it stayed amateur, I would have been quite happy. You know, I enjoyed, you know, I, there, there was something very special about that period as well. You know, London Irish, that first couple of seasons, I and mean, I was a student. So, you know, I mean, it was, you know, I had lots of time but you were mixing with um, uh, doctors and lawyers and bricklayers and policemen and teachers you know and you know there was a you there was a lot of life experience that you picked up on and 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 a lot of balance to your life as well and don't get me wrong I mean we were out you would you know, you were doing your lifts when you could um, um during the day um that varied from person to person and we were out three nights a week and you know and sometimes playing twice on the weekend you know so it was still a pretty big commitment um um pre-professionalism and then obviously you know to get paid for it and to have more recovery time and not to have to um focus on other stuff was um you know was was very very cool you know and both the london irish not exclusively and at ulster you know when i when i moved there we was quite a young group of players so we're all the same age there was a lot of fun to be had and hard work to be done and it was you know very enjoyable in both 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 places yeah um and the the other thing i wanted to um 
pick up on was you mentioned a couple of coaches that you work with and you've uh, been fortunate enough to work with some amazing, um, amazing people. So Clive Woodward would be one that I'd want to hear a wee bit more about. And the other has been a guest in this podcast and I know is an inspiration to a lot of young players who've come through this province, um, Willie Anderson. And I want to hear, I suppose, a wee bit more about them, but I suppose your take on what makes a good coach in your experience you know, as, as a coach yourself and someone who, who's, who's done that for the last number of years, um, what did you learn from them? What makes a good coach? I'm, I'm, I'm almost think it's horses for courses. I mean, it's, it's being in the right place at the right time and sort of matching up your skills and strengths with a group of players, you know. Um, Willie was... Um, um, you know, a great mentor, a deep thinker, technically incredibly accurate. I mean, I learned so much with from, from him at Ulster and, and, and Dungannon to formulate how I viewed the game, you know, and what I wanted to do. And, and you know, I've always been very grateful um, um, to, to, to Willie for all the things I, I learned. I, I enjoyed working for Clive as well. He was a a, very much a blue sky thinker. Um, he didn't care how it was done previously. He um, he would look at a, a range of different ways. Some were brilliant and and way ahead of their time. Some were you know they 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 fell um, um, by the wayside. But that, you know that's normal within any sort of new thinking and ideas. And he had a great way of making you feel. Um, like you were the best player in the world, you know. I mean, he's a, a very inspirational um, um, speaker that way. And again, you know, I think as you go, I've been lucky. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to have a relatively long, a long career. So I, I experienced a lot of different coaches, and I think that certainly helped in formulating how I saw the game, what worked for me, what didn't work for me, what I saw work for other people, and and that's really. As a coach, that's a journey and not a destination because, you know, when you're moving around, as you do have to do as a coach, you're um, coming across many different personality types, different um, uh, cultures, um, at different standards in the league. You know, what works in the top 14 won't necessarily give you success in the, the URC or the Premiership or the MLR and vice versa, you know. So you've got to be adaptable. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, I feel very privileged to have worked with some of the coaches I've worked with for sure. Yeah, that's really interesting the ability to adapt. And in uh, the conversation with Willie Anderson, I suppose in my mind, at least those two coaches couldn't be more contrasting. Um, yeah. Willie Anderson struck me, I think, before speaking to him as slightly more old school. He sounded like an incredibly tough coach. Um, but I mean, I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this as well. But Willie, Willie was sort of saying that he was able to recognize when someone needed an arm around them and yeah. whenever someone needed yeah. to know uh, <laughs> motivation in another way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, interested to hear so the, 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 the yeah. contrast. And how, how, have you, how have you implemented that in your style? Well, I, I found I found Willie to be incredibly spot on like that. And again, not everybody... Um, uh, with any coach is is perfect for all the squad you know but in terms of um in terms of willie you know he absolutely resonated with me i mean he 
he came up in a farming community, so hard work was the core of, of what he he was about and what he expected from his players. I never had a problem with that. I would turn up and do my best at um, you know each and every um, um, training session. So you know we matched there. That being said, um, you know when as as you just rightly said, when somebody needed an arm around them, you know whether it was they were going through a dip in performance or they were going through something personally in in life. He was. Um, um, he knew what to say and to um, to, to to pick you up. He was a, a great um, and I say great past tense. He's a great man for for understanding people and knowing what makes them tick. You know. Yeah, I know that was really evident from from speaking to him, and um, I, I find that really interesting. Do you know um, the the other the other man we haven't talked about that much is Harry Williams and. Um, it was a strange one for me because Harry Williams was actually my headmaster in primary really? school. <laughs> and one day one day he was the headmaster and then he was off winning the European Cup with, with Ulster. And uh, what a man. Um, tell me a wee bit more I suppose, about Harry and what belief or what attitude he instilled in that squad which made it so special. I mean, very different from the the previous two coaches, Clive and and, and Willie, but no uh, no less talented in my in my opinion. Harry Harry was um, um, another very very smart, empathetic man um, uh, who um, could read the room very well, could know what to be said to motivate and um, to empathise. You know, and, and when. Um, in any sort of high performance um, um, environment, you know, there's a lot of ups and ups and downs. You know, you can play the best game but lose on Saturday, or play badly and win, or you know, there are different things. And especially when your your mortgage relies on 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 performing, you know, there's a lot of added added pressure um, to it. You know, Harry was a great one for for knowing what to say. Some of his pre-match uh, speeches still resonate with me. Um, 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 you know, and as I say, a very, very smart, smart bird. And he'd been very successful. I mean, he, I think he, five or six seasons, he um, uh, was unbeaten with Ulster in the Interpros, um, um, which um, people often, often forget in, in my mind. He'd done a lot of winning, you know, and knew how to manage the resources he had, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it was. Um, we were talking there at the start. Of, you were saying about the, the the sort of names who it was like this dream team being assembled in Ulster, and it just sort of came together at the right time, particularly in our province. Do you know? Uh, so you had guys, um, Mark McCall, David Humphreys, um, uh, Mark Mark Blair, Alan Clark, yourself, uh, Simon Mason. Who you all you all knew each other and I played then when you came back in nineteen ninety eight. Tell me, this is an inevitable question for you, because for anyone listening who is maybe of the younger generation, this is um, the most historic um, team that Ulster have ever had um, in terms of uh, success. The first Irish uh, province to have won the, the European Cup. So I want to hear more about that team, um, the individuals in it, the special players within that team, um, and your perspective on the guys and the collective that made it so special? Well, I think as I sort of alluded to um, a, a moment ago, a, a lot of us were at the same sort of age range. Um, um, 
Yan, Bryn, and I was sort of on the on, on, on the younger side, but everyone was sort of in their um, uh, mid-twenties um, and younger, um, by and large. There was a few outliers there. You know, Rab Owen, uh, I'm sure, will uh, what might be saying, you know. Um, but um, um, most of us were, were pretty young, um, so we were going through the same same things at, at, that um, at, at the same time we came together um, very closely. Yeah, and um, you know, a lot of us knew each other, um, you know, um, which I think made the sort of transition and sort of um, fitting in a lot a lot easier. Um, you know, quite a few of us had played the Irish Exiles, Blair So, Simon Mason, myself. For, for, for me, my perspective on it was um, uh, I certainly felt very comfortable um, um, have, with the decision. Obviously, I knew Willie um, at Dungannon, so I made that decision to um, to go back there and, and, and play with him. Um, I really liked in conversation um, with Harry Williams. Um, I immediately warmed to, to him, and, and that and, uh, turned out to be a very good decision. And um, and I knew a lot of the players. You know, there were obviously a, a good few from London Irish that were um, Osterman, Mark McCall, and, and David Humphreys that were going to be. Um, um, going back, um, I knew quite a few of the others, Mark, um, Simon Mason, Mark Blair from the Exiles, and um, then others still, Alan Clark, Andy Matchett, um, to name but a few that um, had played, I'd played with in the Irish A team, either uh, on the summer tour in 97 to New Zealand or in the spring Five Nations um, A, A tournament. So um, I knew, I would say, 50% of the squad before I'd got there. I'd been a Cross in 97 to play in an A-team game in the autumn against Canada and really liked Ravenhill, really liked the, um, the feel and the atmosphere and the, the, the supporters. Um, so, yeah, it seemed like a good decision and it turned out to, to be. Everyone was very, very friendly. We, we bonded very, very quickly. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, we became good friends, uh, I think, first and foremost, and then, you know, teammates as that developed over over a period of time. That's interesting that it's it's actually uh, friendship is, is sort of the recurring theme and how I suppose you could have a really well-drilled team um, of uh, very talented players, but if there's not a bond between them, then that could create issues, I suppose. In the, in yeah. The, I mean, at the very least, I think you need you need respect between teammates to be successful. If you're able to 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 engender um, um, friendships, um, that's even better. And uh, I, you know, and obviously not, you know, it's we're not all sitting around um, holding hands singing kumbaya together. But there were a, a lot of us at the same sort of stage of our lives, and um, and some a little bit a little bit older that were different, but we all got on well. That we socialised a lot together. Um, so that certainly helped uh, bring us closer very quickly. Yeah, of course. And so, in terms of the the, the final again, for people who I said before we started recording to Justin to make, make him feel very old, that that was one of the first sort of games I really remember properly. You know, being down in Dublin at Lansdowne Road for that game, and. I thought the good times would never end for Ulster, you know, at that stage. It was a sort of magical time in, in our history. And tell me a bit more about the period after that. So you, you, you stay in Ulster and then you actually go to France, um, which I know it's, 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 it's not that common, I suppose, for Irish players 
still, but it's, I suppose it's increasingly common uh, for players to, to go away for a while. Zebu's done it. Um, uh, before that, Donica Ryan did it. I mean, there's many others as well. But tell me a bit more about that decision to go uh, to France. Well, I think from a holistic point of view, it's a bit of a dichotomy. Um, you know, I, the, the the idea, the RFU's idea of keeping all the um, national team players in Ireland is a well thought through plan. We can see that by the results and, and how that transitioned. You remember the mid 90s, you know, late 90s um, were, um, you know, a stark period um, for Irish rugby and had been for, for a decade, you know, um, um, by bringing all the players back and having more access to them and putting in different structures um, with the provinces and with the, the national team, that has taken a marked um, uh, upswing. And now our aspirations are very, very much different to what we had as you know, Irish internationals in the late 90s, for example, you know, and, and long may it long continue. That being said, I know personally, and I've, you know, uh, spoken to a number of, you know, old teammates and listened to other players, um, you know, on, on different podcasts and interviews and so on and so forth. Changing um, environments, um, challenging yourself in different leagues with different players is... Um, I think worth its weight in gold um, in terms of um, personal growth and also technically and tactically. We, you know what was demanding upon me as a, a, a prop forward in France was, you know, uh, way different from what I, you know I was being asked to to do in Ulster. Not better or worse, just different because the league's different. You know, the Premiership's different from the URC. You know. Um, Top 14's different, Super Rugby's different, you know. So um, challenging yourself as a player um, on the pitch, I think, you know, allows you to grow, um, allows you to change. And personally, you know, I, I grew up a lot, I think, in, in the two years I was away in France. I hardly spoke any French before I got there. Uh, you know, I still speak poor French now, you know, um, but, um, you know, you, you have to grow, you have to change, you have to adapt. And, and I think you're become a better person for it. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you talked about the differences there and correct me if I'm wrong. I think I, I remember you talking about sort of the different ways that players fire themselves up before a game. You'd be one for remaining calm I suppose before the game from memory and they didn't quite understand why you weren't banging your head against the wall <laughs> is yeah that, pretty is much right? yeah I mean and, and don't get me wrong I think as you get as you go through your career you try different things and you 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 learn and observe different stratagems from different players and coaches and so on and so forth so as a you know as a you know a, a young 20 year old you know yeah I would have smashed my head against the wall and it didn't do a lot for me, to be honest with you. You know, now you go to France, uh, at least when, when when I was there, it's very macho. It's, um, you know, especially at home, you don't lose at home. It's, um, and there was a lot of that, you know, um, uh, at least initially, I didn't understand a lot of what was being said. So that probably helped me. So I just sat there and got myself ready in the best way that I knew how and, and try to put my best foot forward when I took um, took to the pitch and you know control what I could control, um, but yeah, it, it's different. It is it is very different um, to say not better or worse, um, but just different. 
Yeah, and in terms of the actual playing style, so I'm always intrigued and I, I sort of have memories of, of France or maybe my perception of France is, is different to, to yours. Uh, a wealth of really quality front row players uh, who engaged uh, with great vigour in the dark arts of the game. <laughs> is that something that you found over there? It was sort of oh, like very much so. an intimidating environment to play in. Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, it was one of the the draws for me to go. And as I said, I'd, I'd, um, I, I think you benefit. I certainly grew as a player and a person moving from, you know, from a, a, my hometown of Bognor Regis to um, to London, and then London to, to 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 Ulster. Having played, you know, x amount of years of European competition for uh, London Irish and then Ulster, you know, you you are in France a lot. I I, I respected the French teams as a proper. It is the the you know the hardest scrummaging league in the world by none and I wanted to challenge myself I wanted to you know I wanted to see whether I could hang at that, that level week in and week out and it is a marathon there's a lot of games it is it is hard every week regardless of whether you're playing the top sides in the league or the bottom sides they've all got incredibly powerful scrums um, and um, you know and some great great players there um, um, you know props um, and hookers um, so yeah, I mean that excited me. I wanted to do that. I think it's it, for me as well as you know um, playing good rugby. I wanted to have that cultural experience, and um, it was it, I found it incredibly worthwhile. That's it's so interesting to listen to to um, your attitude towards that, and the fact that you you recognised at a at a time when it probably wasn't nearly as common to 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 go out to, to France in some ways. So we obviously have this system in place now where where players are, are prevented, I suppose, from going out because they're 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 vying for Ireland selection. And maybe we lose something uh in picking up experiences from elsewhere and other other nations have the ability a lot of South African players play abroad and probably pick things up abroad as well and then bring yeah. back what they've learned um so yeah. Uh, yeah so in terms of in terms of that do you think that there's it, it might actually would you advise sort of young players maybe before they're vying for Ireland selection it might be good to go and and, and get a good grounding elsewhere uh, it's. I think it's a very much a personal decision. And as I say, I'm a big fan of of the trajectory the Irish teams on and how strong the, the the provinces are. And and that in part is because of the system that's in place. You know, I knew for me uh, personally it was going to have potentially, and it did um, have a negative impact on my ability to uh, to play for, for Ireland. I was, you know, I'd been involved in all the Six Nations games that uh, preceding spring. I was playing well for Ulster at the time. Um, and yet, when the opportunity came along, especially as it was uh, Cast Olympic, uh, where um, two of my um, teammates, Jeremy Davison, had played there for many years and, had, you know, had always told great um, um, stories uh, full of positivity of what great people it was, what a great place it was. Ken O'Connor, who I played with on Irish, played for Munster, had been there and spoke the same, you know, and it lived up to all of those things that they said it would and, and more. And now, did it cost me? Yeah, I was in the World Cup squad that summer. Um, and, you know, I didn't make the, the, the 2003 World Cup. Um, you know, was that because I moved? Was it not? It doesn't really matter. You know, I mean, I made that choice. You, you live with the consequences. I, 
you know, as much as I'd have loved to have played in the second World Cup, um, I really, really wanted the experience. and I wanted to test myself, you know, week to week. And, and I felt I grew as a person and a player through doing that. So, you know, it was a tough decision. But, you know, for me personally, it was worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it sounds like a great experience. And uh, you, you, t- you touched on playing for Ireland there a bit. And we haven't really talked about that. Could you tell me a wee bit more about what it felt like to, number one, get picked and then play for Ireland? Maybe remind us of some of the names in that squad, the era that you were playing in, um, and, and what, what, the, what the reception for you was like. I suppose any new player coming into a squad can be difficult to adjust and, and, and fit in sometimes. Um, yeah, well, again, it's a bit like my experience at Ulster. Because so many of the London Irish players were involved with Ireland, you know, either pre or, or post, you know, my selection. I mean, the London Irish, my first senior tour was uh, to South Africa in the summer of 98. And there was uh, Mark McCall, there was David Humphreys, there was Jeremy Davison, there was Malcolm O'Kelly. Who was Malcolm injured at that time? I'm not sure. Um, uh, Gabriel Fulcher, you know, there was, uh, you know, over that period of those first couple of years, Kieran Dawson, Justin Bishop, you know, there were a load of guys that I knew very well that were playing. So it wasn't like I was walking in cold, you know, so I always found it to be a challenging environment, but a very welcoming one. And I think also, um, you know, most of my early experience were with uh, Warren Gatland, and I and I always felt that he made a very, and I think as part of his his um, um, talent, not exclusively, but part of his talent, he makes a very club feel to a national team, if that makes sense. You know, he gets everyone on speed. He sets high standards, but you know, there are there there's there's fun around it as well, which I think mm. is important. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting, and it. An interesting time for Ireland as well, you know, coming out of the sort of the mid to late 90s and then into into a period of uh, sort of uh, they talk about golden generations of players. And that was sort of the early days um, Mm -hmm. of of that sort of golden generation coming through. Um, So in terms of um, you talked earlier about uh, Ulster being home, it's a home from home. You're in France playing and enjoying it. And then the lure of coming back to Ulster was too great, obviously. Tell, tell yeah. me about that decision to come back. Yeah. Uh, you'd had your, you had your fun in France. Well, yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I, had a, I really enjoyed the, the time there. But it's um, things go through seasons. And um, uh, the coach and, and, and manager at the time, um, um, Christian Gajon, who had been at um, well, been in many different places, but a great man, had really made me feel very welcome there. And the head coach was Christoph Uros, who's the Bordeaux coach now, very successful. Um, and I had a lot of time and respect for them on and off the field their expertise you know we'd had some good success um, over those those two seasons in large part through you know through their direction and they were moving on for different reasons and so it was a kind of a watershed and France is kind of or at least it, 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 it was and I think it still is to a certain degree there's a lot of movement between different clubs so you know in the two seasons I was there in between season one and two 50% of the guys have gone to different clubs you know um, so there is a lot of movement around and and I just felt um, I I, I didn't like that. I like to be around a group of players and sort of mature to, to mature together. 
um, Mark McCall had um, become the head coach at, uh, at Ulster and Alan Clark, um, his assistant. I knew both of them um, from, um, from my time in England and obviously playing in, in, in Ulster and had a lot of respect for both of them. Um, and I had nothing but fond memories of my time in Ulster. I wanted to get back into the Irish team and I knew that I would have to move back to do that. So it all came together nicely. It was a very easy decision to make. And, um, um, and a good one, I think, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to hear a bit more about, I, I think I'm, I'm really interested in your your character and you're obviously very ambitious and, and a pretty competitive person. I think obviously top level athletes have to have that. But the fact that you got on to the, the London Irish team at such a young age, that you were intent on coming and playing for Ireland so that you could play for the national team, and the fact that you came back with a view to playing for Ireland once again. Tell me a bit more about, number one, what type of player you were. I, I have my own perception of you as sort of hard as nails, quite fiery, and could be abrasive, uh, prop and outstanding for Ulster. But I want to hear your perspective. What type of player were you? And how would you describe your mentality and your attitude in terms of ambition and, and competitiveness? Well, I, I, I think ambition, ambitious is, you know, is a good one. I, you know, I, I always wanted to play and I probably played often too much. Um, you know, I come through a, um, a, a period, um, you know, growing up where, you know, if you were anywhere fit, you played. Right. And, you know, so I'd often just strap up and, 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 and play, um, you know, the, I think in, in, the, in the modern era, players are looked after a little bit better. Now, don't get me wrong, I never did anything that I didn't want to do. I always wanted to play. You know, was that always the right decision? No, perhaps, perhaps not, you know, but um, I think players today are, are managed a lot more efficiently. In terms of what sort of player I was, I think, I mean, you know, I played what, you know, not far off the two decades of, of adult rugby, you know, so the player I was at the start was not the player I was at the end, you know, you evolve, you adapt, you know, going to different places, as I said, you know, you have to bring forth um, uh, different skills to be successful. So you adapt, you overcome, um, you know, the player I had to become in France, you know, um, I always enjoyed scrummaging, don't get me wrong, but, you know, every scrum is a battle there so you have to have a very very different mentality um than if you're playing in england or ireland you know um that's just the nature of it so you know you grow and you develop in that in that regard you know different coaches also want different things of you do they want you to hit a lot of rucks and make a lot of tackles or carry the ball so you you know to be successful you know in inverted commas you know to get picked every week you've got to mold and adapt to um, what the team needs, what the coach wants, and, you know, what is the standard of that particular league, if that makes sense. So, you know, I prided myself in being able to adapt to overcome, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. I, I suppose to have such a long career, which again, I think, I'm sure you didn't take it for granted, but there are players, I mean, many of many, many of the players I've spoken to have had very serious injuries and things like that. You remained, apart from being battered regularly, <laughs> did you remain pretty, pretty well, not injury free, but uh, I mean, in that regard, not too bad. I 
I, I had an incredibly um, fortuitous time playing professional um, rugby. You know, I didn't have any shoulders or knee issues that, you know, that, that, that can, can be the bane of uh, many a, a player. Uh, that being said, my final season, sort of 2009, 2010, I, um, I had two injuries on my neck and that was, you know, I didn't play I don't think I played the last four or five months that I was, um, you know, with with Ulster because of that, you know, and, you know, I haven't been able to play since. To be fair, at that age, you know, the old back legs had um, had started to um, had started to give out, and um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, um, the 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 clock of time is 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 unkind, you know, and um, I I could see where I wanted to get to. I knew what I needed to do. But for the first time ever, you know, I couldn't quite get there. So it took the decision away from me. I, you know, I would have had to have retired, you know, whereas if I'd have, you know, still been able to play, would I have potentially have played down a, a, a league or two, gone to the championship or pro de deux and, you know, and tried to transition that way? You know, possibly, possibly, you know, and I don't regret that, you know. Uh, I think it was L- Lady Luck played her part. Yeah, yeah. So it actually saved you from yourself, the man who's keen to yeah, <laughs> buy <yeah>. on. <laughs> yeah, very yeah. much so. I mean, I, I love I love playing. You know, yeah. that being said, you know, it took about two years after I retired from playing not to wake up sore in the morning. You know, it was you know, and I wouldn't change any of it at all. I'm you know, but you know, that's the cold hard reality of being at the coalface for that period of time. I love that, and it's an interesting. Uh, topic because I mean I've spoken to various players who some of which are a bit bitter about the um the risks inherent in playing the game and the fact that um they have had injuries which um uh, stay with them long after they've retired you know and and, and completely understandably are, are are somewhat bitter about that um and it's it's great to hear it. Uh, you'd be so positive about the game and the fact that you love playing it and, and wanted to play as much as possible. Um, albeit that the game has changed and player management has, has come more to the fore. Um, and that's a, that's a good thing. But at the time, as we all know, likes of concussions, it was sort of um, shake it off, get back and hit the next rock. Um, and we're, we're, I mean, that's, that's scary now, isn't it, looking back? But... I want to ask you a couple of listener questions. Okay, so as I said at the start, whenever I said I'd be chatting to you, a lot of people put up questions. So I've taken a few. And the first one I want to ask you, because you came back to the Ulster, and in my mind, at least, this Ulster, the Ulster squad you came back into was full of characters. So I suppose you had, um, would have been uh, Justin Harrison at that time, would have been in the mix, is that right? Yes, uh, yeah, he would have come there, he, he would have arrived that season that I, I came back, yeah, that's correct, yeah. Um, and I just want to get, this This is from Ken, who, who asked on Instagram, who was the joker in the pack playing for Ulster? So I assume uh, the use of the word pack there doesn't mean it's exclusively limited to forwards, but is there any big characters, any notable notable? sort of jokers in that squad well and and again the 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 team over the 10 years i was involved and over the 12 years that those 10 years contained you know had went through many different iterations but you know one of the the fantastic things and i think it's uh, um uh, testament to the 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 ulster personality and sense of humor 
there were so many different uh, characters over that period. I mean, you, yeah, obviously, uh, Justin Harris is not a, like myself, not a born and bred Ulsterman, but very funny, very witty, very intelligent man, um, great thinker of the game, um, and um, very quick-witted. But you also had characters, you know, at the start when I arrived, you know, um, guys like Mark Blair, you know, took the hind leg off a, a donkey, you know, very witty. Andy Park, Yang, Yang Cunningham, um, great characters, you know. Uh, um, Andy Ward was always good for um, uh, a, a bit of crack. Um, and, you know, and then you had, um, you know, younger players um, um, coming through at the, the, the tail end of, um, uh, of, of my career that were also good fun as well. So, yeah, I mean, there's, 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 there's a joker in every team and, um, and there were plenty over the, the course of the time that I was with Ulster. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I think it, you, you mentioned sort of like the, the big characters there as well. And you, you look back and you go, that's a formidable team as well between yourself and Rory Best, who's coming to the fore. I suppose um, uh, the likes of Justin Harrison, even young guys coming through, Ryan Caldwell, who's been on the podcast as well. Like yeah. abrasive characters. <clears throat> Is that something, do you think, Ulster could do with a bit more do you know there's a certain nastiness in a team is that a good thing or I suppose times do change times do change I think you hit the nail on the on, on the head you know I mean you know in the uh, mid to late 90s early early noughties you could you could get away with having a bit of a dust up, you know, um, you know, that changed um, and, and rightly so um, uh, over the, the preceding years and has continued to tighten down as we, we all look to grow the game and to, you know, to, to um, present um, the really positive parts of the game to a, you know, broader glo glo global audience. Um, um, you know, it is a contact collision sport, so you do need to be aggressive. You do need to have a, a hard steel to your uh, makeup. Um, that hasn't changed. Um, and I think you've got, um, you know, you've got that, um, uh, the makings of that um, grit in the current Ulster team. I'm incredibly impressed with what Dan McFarland, another exile um, of um, myself and Mark Blair's gen generation um, has done a, a phenomenal job with um, the squad, which is great to see and great to see, um, you know, someone like Bryn, um, who's been, you know, man and boy through the Ulster setup, um, you know, um, helping and supporting and, and um, leading um, with the squad as well, you know, so you've got that sort of continuity through time. And if you look at all the great sides over the last couple of decades, the Leicesters, the Baths, the Toulouses, you look at um, uh, Leinster now, there is a continuity of, um, of old boy talent that keeps that culture growing, fermenting and developing, you know, and um, that's great to see. Yeah, I, I love the fact you're, you're, you've sort of, you've said the right thing there about maturing and the game growing, being more acceptable, but when it comes down to it, you, you must have loved uh, getting getting into some scraps in the pitch. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a like, I mean, it, it's it's it always looks worse than it actually is. That you're 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 never that far away from the referee. You're never that uh, you know. There's always a mate holding you back or someone in between you. So it's a lot of it's theatrics, or at least was, you know. But yeah, some 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 fun times. <laughs> um, 
So I want to talk a wee bit more about your transition out of the game. That's sometimes a really challenging time for players. Um, it can be scary. <clears throat> it can be difficult to know what you're going to do next. Now, for you, I want to hear about your, the, the decision and then what you went on to do next. And, and what brought you to uh, the USA where you're, where you're still based? Yeah, so um, start start with the first bit of that question. So, I mean, I, I'd always been interested in coaching, um, at least initially to sort of help me understand the game better. You know, I did my first coaching course um, um, in when I was 17, believe it or not, you know, and it was more to sort of understand, you know, the game so how how could i how could i be better you know how 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 is it being broken how do you break down skills you know those kind of, those kind of things and i sort of kept on doing bits and pieces um as one of the reasons um or one of the, the upsides of coming back to Ulster um, from France was, you know, I knew at that point, I think I signed a three-year contract and I thought, well, that could potentially be the finish, you know. Um, at that point, I managed to get uh, to play on for another couple of couple of years there afterwards, but I knew there was a finite um, period coming to, get, uh, coming to the end and I wanted to best position myself and whatever I was going to do next. And I looked at a, several different things and I'd been doing bits and pieces of coaching um i'd been very well supported and encouraged um with by stephen abood who ran the um irfu um, um coaching pathway himself and uh, colin moran um did did and do an outstanding job with that and helped and supported and you know they gave good advice he said get out there and coach so i you know i I spoke to a lot of people that I'd got to know over the period of time, over that five years that I was still playing. I went out to um, Bangor Grammar with David Kennedy and I went out to um, uh, Lisbon um, where Stevie Ferris had been um, uh, with Barney McGonagall and, and, and did some schools coaching. I spoke to Harry Williams um, and um, he helped me um, um, to get into um, Bangor uh, Rugby Club and I coached there for for a little while and um, coached the under twenties at Dungan, and I did a, I took on as many different experiences as I as I could to see a do I like this, b do I have the, the temperament or talent for this, and you know and c am I good enough for this you know and I learned I, you know I took put a lot of time and effort into that process and worthwhile I think um, and. And then when I retired, I mean, the final season, as, as, as I said earlier, I, I was injured for the last three or four months of the, the season. But even before that, and something I discussed at length, signing my last contract with Michael Reed, and I'll be forever grateful to him. I said, look, you know, I'm coming to the end. You know, I'm still able to play. And I was playing all the games at that point when I signed the contract. But, you know, time catches up with you. As I... Um, age out you know I'd like to be supported and facilitated in terms of you know coaching and opportunities and so on and so forth and he was a man to his world and encouraged and supported um, um, you know, as did um, as did Mark McCall when he was coach and Matt Williams when he was coach and Brian and Brian McLaughlin when he became the coach so um, you know that was I was very gracious of them all and and um, 
that uh, enabled me to transition sort of seamlessly, as seamlessly as transitioning can be um, to, to Dungannon. And um, that's a great club, great people. Um, and um, yeah, I really enjoyed my, my time there. Um, yeah. And, and uh, on that note too, well, number one, the, it's inspiring to hear the level of self-development and time <clears throat> and effort that you put in, not just to, I suppose as an ex-player, an ex-Ireland and Ulster player, very well known within the province, you could probably rock up the club and get a coach and give without actually having to think too much about it. But you put this effort in, so that's... Uh, well, I, th I thought about it long and hard, you know, and I listened to people that I trusted and I was lucky in that period of time, as I mentioned, the likes of Steve, um, um, Stephen Aboud and uh, Colin Moran, you know, were very open and honest and very supportive and said, you've got to get out and coach, you know, and I, I'd also seen um, peers retire and gone into uh, professional, um, you know, uh, squads as either the head coach or the assistant coach. And, you know, great players who had a lot of experience and they were out of the game in, in two seasons because they'd, they didn't have the space to grow and develop their ideas and their philosophies. So they were recycling what they'd they'd learn of their players as, as players and, and, and perhaps needed to have, you know, had a few more experiences and so on and so forth. So, you know, I thought it was important. A, I didn't want to be doing something that either I had no aptitude for, or, you know, that I, uh, I didn't enjoy, you know, um, and B, I wanted to give myself the best chance to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you, you have a, a, a knack for spotting talent as well. Tell me a bit more about at Dungannon, which seemed like a great sort of um, greenhouse for, for developing talent. Um, yeah. In Tell me a bit more about the players who came through there and the environment that was created. Well, I mean, Dungannon's been a great incubator for talent. You know, obviously, um, it was uh, a good part of the reason I came to Ulster initially was to go back to uh, to working with Willie Anderson. I'd been across with London Irish, I think, in 96 with Willie, and we played against the Dungannon side. So I was familiar with uh, the club and, and, they, and still are an incredibly friendly, supportive. It's just a great club. And so I, I you know, I, I knew that I'd played a lot of rugby uh, for Dungannon pre-leaving for France you know we we won division two in 98 got promoted up into all island one we won that in 2001 under Willie um and um so you know I I knew it had the fundamentals and the support network to to do well I always enjoyed being there as a player and then I'd gone and coached the under 20s there and we'd won uh, the Roland Bar, I think it's called, um, under 20s cup as, as that. So it was a good few of those young players that were sort of maturing into first team players as, as I was ready to transition. And then basically, you know, the landscape to change when I played for Dungannon, you know, you had, uh, at least in the first two or three seasons, you had Johnny Bell, you had David Humphreys, you know, Mark McCall had signed, you know, before he got injured, Alan Clark was there, Gary Les, we had half of the Ulster squad playing, you know, yeah. um, and that landscape had changed. Everybody was playing a full Ulster season. So it had become an academy um, players. Um, I'd, I'd, 
having been around the schools, I saw how much talent there was around the province. And I have absolutely no doubt that has not changed. Um, and um, I didn't have a huge budget to go and, you know, buy a load of players. So I, I, I went around and, and I recruited schoolboys um, um, that I felt had potential. And we had a good bit of success with that. I mean, the, the, the guys that had gone through that group, Craig Gilroy, Stuart McCluskey, um, uh, Paddy Jackson, um, uh, Chris um, Cochran, um, obviously Coldy had come through at that, that point, but he played the odd game. Um, who else? Um, there was just a, it was just a good group of young players who wanted to work and were looking for an opportunity either to progress themselves out of the academy or like with Stuart McCluskey and Craig Gilroy, who wanted to play them their way into the academy, which they managed to do and, and you know, have gone on to have and having um, great careers. Yeah, and uh, on that on that note, I mean, you pick these guys out of school. Now, there's no shortage of of talent. You watch the schools cup, and there's some very talented players. What are the differences between a very good player who might do well all Ireland league and someone that you know might go on to play professionally? Is there something? Is there some X factor that um, you look out for in terms of attitude or physical ability? Well, I mean, to play at the uh, at, at the professional level, I mean, it's becoming an ever more um, athletic game, you know, and so physical characteristics are important, um, you know, um, to, it, I mean, there's always outliers, you know, Shane Williams, for example, who played for Wales was an outlier in terms of size, but an incredibly a great player and a credibly successful player, you know, um, so there are outliers and you've got to recognise that. But generally speaking, you know, um, if you can't put into them what God didn't give them. So if they're not quick enough as a winger or fast enough or big enough or robust enough, and now obviously at, from schoolboy to say 21, 22, 23, there's a lot of development physically and technically and tactically to do. But, um, you know, if they've got the, the, the frame, that helps. The biggest thing, though, I think is, is twofold, um, uh, attitude and, and work ethic. If they don't have the right attitude um, and they don't have the right um, work ethic, then they're not going to succeed. Uh, or if they do succeed, it will be short-lived. Um, so getting to know the person and, um, you know, um, and, you know, what makes them tick and, and, and um, you know, what, what motivates them and, and how they are in general life um, is, uh, I think, important and underrated and an underrated skill as well, you know, getting to know is, you know, it generally success follows, you know, if you're good at something, you've, that's, there's probably strands of success in your life, whether it's been academically or sporting or, you know, or, or in the workplace or, or, or whatever, you know. So if they've got some of those other strands there, then they've got the willpower, they've got the persistence, they've got the work ethic, they've got the attitude. Um, and if they've got the talent, then you can draw that out of them. That's really interesting. And, and so now you say it, a lot of the a lot of professional players do go on to be successful in other fields. I mean, you, you were talking earlier about starting your business and having a successful coaching career. There's any number of examples of people who have played at the top level who have gone on to do great things. And it's no coincidence that they 
are are used to dedicating themselves and, and applying themselves in a disciplined way to achieve a goal and that's really interesting actually to to hear that because i hadn't massively thought so much you sort of think about what are the physical attributes you're looking I suppose if you're looking for a prop forward it's uh you have to be a sufficient size but it's that character um is is another huge huge percentage um whenever whenever spotting players obviously and i'm interested i said before we started recording about i'm just back from america and it sort of baffled me a wee bit um and i want to i want to talk more specifically sort of how you how you you went to America and, and, and your time sort of setting up uh, various teams and, and rugby is becoming a much bigger thing in America. It sort of baffles me how with the number of athletes available and the unbelievable athleticism in the NFL, for example, how I suppose US don't have, US rugby maybe don't have a national team which is competing against the, at, at the very highest level. Where are we in in the US? Where is rugby at the minute? If you could, I suppose not all of us follow rugby outside of, I suppose the the URC or whatever. Tell us what what state is rugby in in America at the minute? Well, that's a very expansive question. Um, <laughs> where to begin? <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it's it's on the up and up. Um, um, put simply, it's growing at an exp- exponential um, rate um, across. Um, you know, across high school, college, um, and the professional game, no doubt about that. Obviously, MLR has been a, been a great game changer in that that effect. It's still got a lot of growth to do. It's um, as you know yourself, having travelled around the south a little bit, it is a massive country. So you know, put it put put it in this context for um, um, for the national team in Ireland to have a training session, well, one, all the players are in the country that are being selected for that training session. So they've got what? What's the furthest distance? Probably Galway to come down to to Dublin to train, right? What's that? Four hours now? Um, you know, three and a half, something like that. Um, where to go from, say, Seattle to uh, New York? Um, you're basically going the distance from London to Moscow you know, across X amount of time zones, um, you know, to us, you know, when I was involved with the national team, um, you're looking at um, a minimum, a minimum to gather people for a weekend, you know, uh, 20 grand, you know, just to travel them all in, feed them, house them for the weekend. Um, so so uh, finances come, come into it. Um, geography comes into it. Um, um, now, that being said, you know, with obviously the announcement of the World Cup coming to the US, uh, men's and women's 31 and uh, 33, that's going to focus a lot of minds and draw a lot of um, outside interests and, and funding into it. Um, MLR has played a, 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 a huge part in changing that. You've got many more of the well, you've got now you've got a situation where all of the players at one level or another are involved in a professional environment. Whereas in 2015, when we went to the World Cup, you had 50% of the guys playing in um, some level of professional rugby around the world and 50% who were used to doing two nights a week on a Saturday, you know, um, for half of the half of the calendar year. So that's been um, a game changer. I see a lot of similarities um, with how the game went professional in, um, in Europe. And there's still some, some, a lot of growth to do here. 
and it will take time but having that sort of end goal of um of the world cup i think will focus a lot of a lot of minds uh, it's a great opportunity people love their sport here um people love rugby it's in more and more cities and continues to grow um so um i see bright times ahead um, um but it's going to take time and you know um having a professional um teams does allow for crossover athletes whether they're exiting out at high school college or exiting out of other professional sports allows them to come into it and the level's not so high yet that they can't transfer some of those skills and their athleticism and be successful with the right coaching and attitude um, so that's still there's a lot of um, potential in that regard and there are so many athletes here you know um, so yeah lots to do but of very much on a different setting or level year on year so I see positive things ahead that's that's again really interesting that I haven't even thought of the practicalities of getting a team together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge, huge factor. We take yeah. for granted how small Ireland is, and um, it's easy. You get together for the weekend, have a training camp, whereas um, especially without funding and um, and the infrastructure in place, uh, and, yeah. uh, as you say, the game's pretty young in America, uh, despite the fact it's been obviously been going at some level, but we're talking sort of... Um, well, four or five seasons in MLR. Um, five, yeah. Yeah, five seasons. So um, in terms of um, your, just briefly, sort of what, how, how did you end up in America? And, and tell me a bit more about your experience there. Firstly, with Seattle, if you've got that, and, and then latterly with uh, Houston as well. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, um, well, uh, I spent, um, spent um, the, the guts of the summer in 2012. I'd been invited by um, World Rugby to um, uh, go and uh, coach as a guest coach um, in the Asian Five Nations. So I, uh, I spent the summer in Lahore with um, uh, the Pakistan team and I had a fabulous experience. You know, the game pretty much like North America and South America and Asia is growing exponentially as well. Um, and um, great enthusiasm, um, some good athletes, um, um, uh, some administrators that are working incredibly hard to develop um, both the national team and the community game and, and are having some great success there. So I sort of looked at that and again, pretty much like I decided I wanted to go to France. I enjoyed the, uh, seeing something that I'd never seen before, you know, I'd never anticipated, um, you know, going to Pakistan. It's not a holiday destination, but fantastic people, um, a lovely city. I, I had a I had a wonderful time, and that sort of um, sparked up my interest of sort of um, spreading my wings and, and going further afield. Um, I was um, the following the following the following um, few months I was sort of um, made the decision I was personally going to be getting divorced and I decided that you know I wanted to um, uh, explore and um, different places and I'd um, I put in for a number of jobs around the world and um, um, 
I, in the end, I, I picked um, Seattle um, as my one of my old um, schoolboy friends. It, it was over there, and um, you know, uh, he'd I'd I'd been over there previously to visit him. I knew the city, I knew some of the personalities, and I knew, um, or at least I thought I knew the potential of the place, which turned out to be um, accurate. And um, had a, had a great um, four or five years there. Yeah, and then Houston as well. That's that's a more recent experience. So um, it seems like you had a major role with Houston and bringing them forward as well. What was that experience? Well, that was that was one of the reasons I, I sort of I, I took it again. I, I like to see and do different things. I like building. Um, uh, there was a great idea and concept which is you know blossoming into and continues to blossom into fruition here. It's a great sporting town. It's a great city. Um, um, there was really only ideas on paper at that point. Um, there were um, a couple of owners and uh, a secretary and nothing else. And I wanted to challenge myself. And this, you know, was a huge challenge. You know, we had to find training facilities. We negotiated with the city to to build uh, what is now the premier rugby facility in North America. Um, um, to find temporary um, playing facilities. We had to recruit, recruit coaches. We had to build a team. We had to engage with the community and support them. Um, we had to. Um, sell sell seats, um, you know, sponsorships, you know, and I had a hand in uh, to lesser or greater extent in in all of that, and uh, and really enjoyed it. Um, it was um, incredibly challenging, um, um, but very rewarding. That's, uh, I mean, your, your your journey as a player is one of the most fascinating of any of the Ulster players I've spoken to. I mean, you're a proper globe trotter, do you know. From London to to Ulster, France to uh, back to Ulster, uh, and then US via Pakistan, and then setting up uh, a, a rugby club. It sounds like effectively setting setting it up and um, getting getting rugby to a large extent off the ground, you know, and using your experience to do that. Um, a, a fascinating journey that you've you've taken, and I appreciate. Uh, We've we've been talking. I could sit and talk to you all day, but what I was saying, there's a couple of very quick fire questions here from listeners, and we could just um, finish off with a couple of these. And uh, it's Swan Training on Instagram has asked, "Who was your worst roommate and why?" I would say, I know, I think I only roomed with him the once, and a lovely fella, but snores and. You know, and I probably do as well, but I don't wake myself up snoring, so it's not not a problem. But uh, um, Gary Longwell snored a lot, so you know, we I think we only roomed together once, and I didn't get much sleep. <laughs> By all apart from that, yeah, apart from that, I mean, to be fair, you know, I'm pretty easy going. You know, I'm gonna yeah. keep myself to myself, so it, it never really bothered. But I, I do like to to, to have a good sleep, and if I'm not getting that, then I'm a I'm a, I'm a grumpy old man. <laughs> By all accounts, uh, Gary Longwell is a, a great lad as well. So I'd love to get him on, and because um, uh, he's uh, another legend uh, uh, from back in the day. So um, the other uh, question I have here is: this is a, a tricky enough one. Um, Callum Witten asks, "What players that you played with would make it in the current Ulster team?" You can interpret that how you like. Who are the sort of best players you played with that you get Ulster use now? Um, well, I mean, there was a, there, 
there was some so over that sort of period of 10 years, there was some great talent, you know, I mean, obviously the game moves on and it changes and different coaches want different things, but you think of some of the talent over that period of time. I mean, for me, David Humphreys was world-class, you know, um, you know, had he, had he, had he come into, um, and there was such a great rivalry between him and Ronan O'Gara, but had he come into the Ireland team at a different time, he'd have had, you know, even more caps than he had. I mean, he really could turn a game on its head. And um, so I think, you know, for me, David Humphreys could could play in a number of um, uh, of, um, of, of of teams in, you know, in any generation. Yes. Um, although, sadly, he didn't play for Ulster much when I, I was there because of injury. Mark McCall, I had the pleasure of playing with uh, at London Iris. And he was, you know, week in, week out in the Premiership, our best player, you know. And and to be fair, there were some great players there, Malcolm O'Kelly, Jeremy Davidson, Kieran Dawson, you know, Conor O'Shea. There were some, you know, some great, great players in that group. But every week, you know, Mark McCall delivered, you know, just consistently, quietly went about his business. Great work ethic, um, you know, um, I think... You know, f- over the uh, the period um, of arriving before I went to to France, I mean, you know, Andy Ward in terms of forwards was the backbone of of, of that group. You know, um, incredibly athletic, um, uh, high work rate, um, and I think you know he's someone would who would thrive in you know if you turn back the clock and put him there at 22, 23, would do very well. Um, you know, in any environment yeah and reassuringly a couple of those guys uh their sons are coming through now so we've yeah. seen james emerge as a talent and and zach ward as well playing yeah. playing his rugby in balna hinch and, and for ireland sevens as well so oh, i love I, I love it when when guys uh when those sort of dynasties are established you know and yeah um, <laughs> and nathan duke is another one as well and yeah so on that note like do you keep in touch with the guys from Ulster? Like, do you, do you watch the team on a regular basis? I I know from recent experience it can be it can be tough enough to find the games. <laughs> well, uh, um, yeah, it's um, it's um, uh, it's not possible to watch them every week just with the time difference and so on. But I, I do I do um, keep my eye in and watch it and support it. I mean, it's um, it's. You know, my team. You know, so to so, so to speak, and um, you know, I like to see them do, um, being successful, and they've had some great results over the course of the season. As I said earlier, I love what um, uh, Dan and Bryn are doing with the team, and, and wish them con- continued success. Um, so um, yeah, as much as I can, and um, uh, not always possible to do it every weekend, but um, um, as much as I can, I like to to keep abreast of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 good to hear because um, you can be on the other side of the, the world now and, and and still keep in touch with it with it. And is there any sort of players, guys from from that generation that you would you would speak to, or and have you any plans to come back and visit at some stage? Well, I was I was incredibly heartbroken not to uh, be able to come back. Um, uh, we had a, a game on the weekend for the twentieth anniversary of the um, ninety nine team, so you know I sort of looked at it, and it's just it's just not that easy to to, to do. I can't fly direct from here to Belfast, for example. So you've got to, you know, you've either got to go up the East Coast and across, uh, or you've got to go into London and across. The logistics would have been, you know, incre- inc- 
yeah. impossible you know um, um so that that was that was heartbreaking but um um yeah we're all on a on a whatsapp whatsapp group together which to, to be honest with the banter that goes back and forth there periodically it's you know like we were in the changing rooms you know um before i keep in contact with um a few of the lads you know simon mason and i have um have uh we, we lived together for a while when we were in, we were in Ulster and we've remained good friends uh, ever since, you know. So um, I live vicariously through his life as he gets back uh, periodically and catches up with the lads. But um, yeah, a, a good group and a lot of happy memories. Yeah, oh, no, that's, that's so good to hear. And um, I think that's a really good note to end on. I just want to say and get it on record as well, that we had major technical difficulties and Justin, being the great lad that he is, was very patient with me and stayed on the line. And I'm so delighted that we got to finish our conversation, which I could have, I could sit and talk to you for hours about your experiences because you've had a fascinating life and career. And um, Ulster fans will love listening to that. And um, thank you again for your time, Justin. It's hugely no, thank you. Right, thank you.